My bounty is as boundless as the sea. My love is as deep. The more I give to thee, the more I have. For both are infinite. everyone, and welcome back to Play On, the official podcast of the Utah Shakespeare Festival. I'm Cheyenne Gray. And I'm Emily Reed. You just heard Festival Education Associate India Mack with a quote from Romeo and Juliet. In this episode, we're going to talk a bit about love. A couple months ago, I had the chance to talk to old friends who know a lot about the power of Shakespeare and love, Dr. Travis and Mary Curtright from Shakespeare and Performance, a collegiate Shakespeare troupe at Ave Maria University in Southwest Florida. They answered my questions about love in Shakespeare's text and how that permeates into the lives of performers. I love how Shakespeare can make the world so much smaller. In our last episode, we talked to Sam White from Shakespeare in Detroit, and in this episode, we'll be talking to a Shakespeare troupe in Florida. Shakespeare has an amazing way of connecting us all across the country and the world. We got a great story in our email from our listener, Catherine, about her Shakespearean love story. She says... So my husband Robbie and I are both huge theater and Shakespeare nerds. He proposed to me with a monologue from Taming of the Shrew. I was visiting him one summer and we went on a picnic at the park. He wanted me to listen to a monologue that he was memorizing, which is a thing he does because he likes to have monologues in his back pocket, as it were. So I'm listening to Petruchio's You Lie in Faith for You Are Called Plain Kate speech. And at the end, when he says, Yet not so deeply as to thee belongs, myself am moved to woo thee for my wife. Robbie pops the ring out. People think it's super adorable that he proposed with Shakespeare, but they forget that Petruchio is mocking Kate, which I think is funny. I love taming, so I thought it was perfect. We love hearing from our listeners, especially about how Shakespeare influences your life. Shakespeare and drama are truly forces of good in the world. So for an upcoming episode, we want to know, what was your aha moment with Shakespeare? Or how has the bard changed your life? Let us know by leaving us a voicemail at 385-422-1898 or emailing us at podcast at bard.org. Now let's hear from the Curtwrights. Dr. Curtwright is the founder and director of Shakespeare in Performance. Mary Curtwright, his wife, has been instrumental to the project from its inception around eight years ago. Side note, this was the first interview I recorded for this podcast. I'm telling you this for two reasons. One, so y'all forgive me for all my faults. And two, I think it's really fitting because not too long ago, I was in Shakespeare in Performance with the Curtwrights, and that experience is a large reason I'm here at Utah Shakes now. So thank you to my Shakes fam down in Florida. And a shout out to all the Curtwright kids, but especially Henry for keeping me updated via postcard. And a special thanks to John Paul Hare and Fernando Perez for helping me record this interview. Home for Music Fire, check one, two, three. Check one, two, three. Perfect. What are some examples of Shakespeare's greatest love stories? Uh, my favorite is As You Like It. Think of the plot as the love at first sight story meets the story of how friends come to realize that they love each other. And As You Like It, Rosalind and Orlando fall in love at their first meeting. But this encounter leaves Orlando tongue-tied. Um, He says, what passion hangs these weights upon my tongue? I cannot speak to her, yet she urged conference. Orlando idealizes uh, Rosalind like Romeo does Juliet, but the difference is that Orlando is so moved that he cannot speak. So uh, Rosalind assumes the disguise of a man and befriends Orlando. They learn to speak with one another without the pressures of love, 
and develop a close relationship, a friendship, which later includes Rosalind's revelation of her true identity. So when the god of marriage descends at the end of the play, uh, he tells Rosalind and Orlando that you and you know cross uh, shall part. And I think the reason why is because they're both uh, friends and lovers. Mary, do you have a favorite duo in Shakespeare? Well, I just don't like having favorites um, because um, do you really have a favorite child or a favorite book or a favorite movie or a favorite piece of furniture even? I mean, really, it's whatever you're um, experiencing at the moment. So when we're in production, um, that's my favorite because I'm studying the language. I'm I'm observing my husband, uh, directing the students. Um, I'm listening to it, and I'm pondering it, and, and that's my favorite. I can't really otherwise have a favorite. So when we did Taming of the Shrew, Kate and Petruchio were your favorite? Yes, in a kind of... Um, maybe a negative example way, but it's there's there's brilliance in the language to consider in that play and um, and uh, humor. Um, so yeah, it was my favorite at the time. Yeah, I get it. It's easy to fall in love with what you're spending all of your time doing. And if you don't fall in love with it, it really shows in the final product. You know, I, I do love Much Ado. I love the relationship between the two of them, um, but perhaps just because I've been thinking about Macbeth more. It's funny that you mentioned Macbeth as the, the, the only good marriage um, shown in Shakespeare because um, I thought, oh, is that just cynical? As we grow older, we start thinking about the power couple. <laughs> but but uh, I've been thinking about Macbeth a lot lately. What about the worst? What are some of the worst examples of love in Shakespeare? <laughs> uh, okay, so there's a type of love story I wouldn't recommend. Here I'm thinking of Shakespeare's version of the secret crush story. In Secret Crushes, she likes him but won't say so because she fears he doesn't like her. But then, of course, he does feel the same way about her and is afraid to say so. Uh, eventually, the truth comes out and we have a big happy ending. Now, Shakespeare's take on this is uh, very different. Um, so in All's Well That Ends Well, uh, a character um, also named Helena is in love with a cad named uh, Bertram. Despite Bertram's questionable moral character, um, he's in a social class above her. She has loved him from her youth, but secretly because she's the daughter of a doctor um, rather uh, than of aristocratic birth, um, she never reveals her, her love until um, uh, she becomes much older. Shakespeare's twist is that um, Helena's beloved never hid romantic feelings for her. In fact, he never loved her. So Helena has to employ uh, a bed trick. She gets creative. Uh, this is a scheme whereby one woman substitutes for another woman unbeknownst uh, to the man. The bed trick works and the play does conclude with the marriage, but we can wonder if this is a happily ever after ending. Uh, the title of the play could become a question. All's well that ends well. Does it? What do Shakespeare's depictions of these different types of love provide for the audience? I think it can be helpful for audiences to think about Shakespeare's various depictions of love in terms of uh, classical love stories we already know. There's the story of forbidden love, like the one featured in Romeo and Juliet. He loves her, she loves him, but they are star-crossed lovers, prevented by fortune or their finger-waving parents or both from uh, being together. With forbidden love, the 
plot combines the suspense of how the lovers might get together with the passion of the lovers themselves. And here Shakespeare extends that passion into Romeo and Juliet's own sense that they would rather die than live apart. Um, there's also the battle of the sexes love story, a sort of hate at first sight story. The Taming of the Shrew is traditionally understood as a classic um, in this genre. <laughs> when Petruchio claims that he will marry Kate, she replies, I'll see thee hanged first. Uh, yet she does marry him. And in many productions, both Petruchio and Kate grow and learn to love one another. Uh, neither really tames the other because both are tamed by love. Um, now, other productions push back and make the taming plot into a question, does Kate really change her mind about Petruchio by the end or not? Uh, a third classic love story is that of the old flame. An old flame is a person with whom you've had an emotional, passionate attachment, but it didn't work out so well. <laughs> um, after a period of time, the old flame uh, reenters your life. We see the outlines of this story in Much Ado About Nothing. In the first scene, we hear about a merry war between Beatrice and Benedict, which Beatrice later explains has the result of a love affair uh, gone wrong. She says of Benedict that she lent him her heart for a while, but he played for it with false dice. Shakespeare, though, will give them both a second chance in one of his best, most jubilant uh, romantic comedies. Uh, just a few more, uh, there's the famous love at first sight story. Uh, Romeo and Juliet, of course, falls underneath this category. But Shakespeare wrote another play about the same time, um, a comedy called The Midsummer Night's Dream. And there are lots of verbal echoes between these plays. The chorus in Romeo and Juliet says, from forth the fatal loins of these two foes, a pair of star-crossed lovers take their life. And Hermia from Midsummer claims, if then true lovers have ever been crossed, it stands as an edict in destiny. In Midsummer, though, Shakespeare pokes fun at or slightly undermines this edict of love at first sight. When Demetrius falls for Hermia, his former lover, Helena, protests how love looks not with the eyes, but with the mind, and therefore is winged Cupid painted blind. Nor hath love's mind of any judgment taste, wings and no eyes figure unheedy haste. Helena, like Oberon, thinks of love as an invention of the imagination. Love is like poetry, Oberon suggests, because both love and poetry create imaginative visions that you know, might not correspond with reality. Why do we like to see love depicted on stage? Okay, well, that is a great question. <laughs> I think the simple answer is that love stories make great plays. Uh, we can think of stories about how lovers must conquer obstacles in order to be together, or stories about uh, sexual and dramatic tensions between people with very different personalities who nevertheless find themselves attracted to one another. Uh, these stories work in other artistic forms as well. But for a playwright like William Shakespeare, love stories were a magnificent, rich resource for characters, uh, dialogue, ready-made plots and conflicts, uh, ways to heighten emotion on the stage. Um, people sometimes joke that the only successful marriage Shakespeare depicted was that of the Macbeths. But we forget how powerful courtship and love stories are. For Shakespeare, marriages come at the end of love stories as a kind of fitting, uh, happy conclusion. So I think he was drawn to love because as a dramatist, he couldn't resist the muses of uh, sexual tension, surprising turns in passionate relationships, and even the mystery of why love uh, so moves us. 
So how has Shakespeare's work informed our ideas about love and your ideas about love? Well, I think of uh, Shakespeare's influence more in terms of his use of language. He dresses ideas of love beautifully, even if those ideas didn't necessarily originate with him. So Olivia in uh, Twelfth Night neatly captures the idea of love as surprising, wonderful, uh, generous gift when she says, love sought is good, but given unsought better. Um, Othello reveals how compassion can form the basis of romantic attachment in his explanation of how Desdemona came to love him. She loved me for the dangers that I had passed, and I loved her that she did pity them. Um, Romeo gives us a sense of his beloved's spectacular presence, what it meant to him uh, to first see her when he approaches Juliet and, and touches her hand. If I profane with my unworthiest hand this holy shrine, the gentle sin is this, my lips to blushing pilgrims ready stand to smooth that rough touch with tender kiss. And Juliet herself later summarizes uh, the importance of constancy in love when she tells Romeo, my bounty is as boundless as the sea. My love is deep. The more I give to thee, the more I have, for both are infinite. And uh, then, of course, uh, there are Shakespeare's sonnets. Yeah? Um, so many lines are immediately recognizable to us, like, shall I compare thee to a summer's day? Or the opening of sonnet uh, 116, which is uh, also on this theme of constancy that uh, Juliet spoke to. Um, Let me not to the marriage of true minds admit impediments. Love is not love which alters when it alteration finds or bends with the remover to remove. Um, oh no, it is an ever fixed mark that looks on tempest and is never shaken. It is the star to every wandering bark whose worth's unknown, although his height be taken. Um, so Shakespeare, as a poet, um, not just as a dramatist, but also as a poet, can teach us much about um, love in his sonnets uh, as well as in his plays. Uh, every actor has their methods and are affected in different ways, but does the act of performing Shakespeare have an effect on personal feelings of love, specifically for the performer or the director? I, I don't think that it does or needs to. Um, I can only speak from my own experience here. Um, playing a role imparts a certain point of view or attitude or character or language that um, I try to internalize. But that uh, internalization happens on the stage um, during a performance. It's like a trance, and eventually you return uh, to yourself. Feel free to disagree. When, when you asked Travis about the effect um, of, on the actor of performing Shakespeare, um, I thought to myself, you can often see in uh, the students, in the actors, um, an effect depending on what kind of character or role they're taking on, I think. Um, if they have more of a tragic um, plot line that they're following, it, it weighs on them a little more. I'm not sure whether it's their youth or, um, or that they're really just throwing themselves into the character. Um, but the more comic characters seem a little 
jauntier, and the uh, the ones that are a little sadder seem a little sadder that particular semester. And uh, um, I don't know, I think it's no noticeable. You notice these things from the students, but you're not technically a university employee. What is your role in this organization? So Shakespeare in Performance started off as a an experiment um, that Travis wanted to do with um, a class. He would take a Shakespeare class and it wouldn't just be studying the text or, or a literature class. He would take a, um, a crazy group of kids and put on a show from the ground up um, in a classroom, just a regular classroom, not a theater. Um, and he would arrange the chairs um, to simulate the audience on three sides and um, do it with the lights on and uh, have eye contact and audience interaction. And, um, and it was a really rousing success. The audience was astounded that um, these kids knew the characters and the lines so well. They worked very hard over that semester and then we just haven't been able to stop. So we've put on shows every year and now we have a theater and, um, and along the way they have given me the name Shake's Mom. Um, so that's how I observe what's happening with these, with these kids and how I'm able to uh, uh, kind of see what's going on in their lives because they talk to me and uh, we get to see them a lot. So do you like the name Shake's Mom? I do. I don't remember who first came up with it. Um, but I do like it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can't help um, mothering uh, these kids um, when they ask for it, really, when they, when they need a shoulder to cry on, uh, they need somebody to talk to or bounce ideas off of, and feeding them. I think you're automatically a mother when you feed these kids. <laughs> well, our, our life and our house have been, you know, bound up with this project uh, for years now. Um, so last year when there was construction going on, we had all the costumes in the front part of our house and, uh, and all the props. And so, you know, you walk in, you stepped, o you stepped over a, a, a wind machine um, uh, that actually my father-in-law built for us. And then we've got the, you know, the things that we use to shake the sheet metal for the sound effects thunder, of, of, thunder. of thunder. Yeah. And then uh, we've got all the Elizabethan costuming. Um, 300 pounds of drapery for the curtains. Oh, uh, the pipe and drape for the curtains. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so we would play classrooms and play different classrooms. And then, you know, 1014 to 1019, um, university scheduling could change. Uh, we were like this uh, band of players that would sort of just uh, migrate around campus mm -hmm. and then because we didn't have storage space. Um, sometimes it was in the dorm, sometimes it was on the third floor of the library. Uh, and most of last year was in our house. Uh, so that means you know students have to come over because we're gonna do a trailer for our, uh, we're gonna shoot a trailer for our upcoming production. So they come over and they get the costumes. Um, or uh, you know we're gonna have a dress rehearsal because we, sometimes we'll do uh, you know, kind of 
single song numbers for university fundraisers. And so, you know, they got to come um, back to the house and get ready for that. Uh, and then, you know, where's the makeup? Who knows where the makeup's at? Someone's got to find the makeup. Um, and so we, uh, we're very happy to have a home in, uh, at Ave Maria University now. We're very happy to have a brand new uh, black box uh, uh, theater. Um, but, you know, we'll never forget how wonderful our pioneers, our founding members of the troupe were um, and, uh, and how much they worked to make, how much hustle they, they, uh, they, they employed to make those productions happen. So you're Shake's mom. You, Travis, go by many different names. There are Shake's kids, Shake's babies, Shake's everything. And all of it centers around what they call troop life. So what is troop life? I think we try to create a warm and affectionate environment um, that the students can thrive in and through. Um, there's a really high standard of professionalism on stage, but it, it never becomes uh, cold um, in the inter, you know, in the dynamic between um, the students or between director and student. And the way that we do that, I think, is, is because we try to bring, bring a little bit of our family spirit to um, rehearsals and, and the show run. Yeah, people have to feel comfortable um, being looked at and uh, looking upon others in intimate moments from uh, a play. Uh, they have to uh, perform emotions uh, that can be uh, difficult for them. Um, they have to uh, take risks in front of their peer group and not worry about how they're being perceived by their peers, right? Um, but try and become a character and uh, commit to that character. So they need um, uh, a, a safe space, uh, a, a loving place, a place where they know that theater's for everybody, theater's fun, uh, theater's a place to experiment and uh, uh, find uh, new things about yourself. And uh, that's the environment that we impart to them, and then they thrive. They thrive within it. And it's really hard, I think, for an 18 to 22-year-old to be away from uh, their family. Uh, they're, they're having adventures, they're going off and they're doing big things, but they always miss home, they miss family life. And so um, to know that they not only have a director, but they also have you know um, someone that they know believes in them and has affection for them is a really, really big deal. We care about them. Uh, we get to know them a lot through this process. And, um, and there's kind of a mutual affection that grows out of that. I think that's true. And then if you just think about rehearsal schedule, what everybody knows uh, who's involved in a production is that you spend a lot of time together. Um, and uh, we try and make sure that uh, civility, courtesy, encouragement, um, coming prepared uh, with a high energy level, uh, with the sort of uh, enthusiasm for the project, that these are sort of norms of uh, how to approach a, a work of art together. Um, and then, you know, it is uh, magnanimous because those uh, students will dedicate, you know, up to 20 hours a week in addition to a full course load and a job to um, uh, 
bring to life uh, one of Shakespeare's uh, plays. And, and so they really believe in the project and, uh, uh, and their kind of uh, energy and zeal makes, makes the plays and the productions happen. But a concomitant of that then is how close we all become with one another and the friendships that they share with one another. It's beautiful. The first year we put on a show, um, I was expecting a baby and then had a baby right uh, before uh, the semester started. And um, that baby was Rosalind, and we were putting on As You Like It. Um, so I'll never forget uh, taking a picture with baby Rosalind and the actor who played Rosalind together. And uh, from that moment, I think, everybody kind of knew this was going to be something really special, that our family was growing up right alongside um, the actors, that there was going to be a big sister, little sister, big brother, little brother dynamic um, that happened. And we have benefited so tremendously from the students' um, love and care of our own children um, that it's impossible. It's like this virtuous cycle of, of love. It uh, sounds super sappy right now that I think about it, but it's true. We, we do like uh, monologue workshops in our living room with our, little, with our, with our children, and my uh, youngest, Rosalind, is six. And to have her you know, walking around uh, playing Leontes, right, is whispering nothing, is weaning cheek to cheek nothing, Skulking in a corner, stopping the career of wafter, ha 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 ha, with a sigh, and you know to have her, she's you know, she's pretty much she's off book with that one, um, and uh, you know uh, Andrew Olson who played Leontes, he just loves the fact that you know my little six year old is running around saying his lines, um, and we find our kids do that quite a bit, um, and uh, I remember little Henry uh, would uh, say the lines of uh, uh, Duke Frederick, uh, it was more more villain thou, but he couldn't get the thou right, so it was always, it was always more villain thou. <laughs> um, and Sebastian uh, took on the lines of Orlando one year, um, and so uh, you know, it's an education for our children as well. All our kids are named for uh, characters from uh, Shakespeare's plays. Our kids are real characters. <laughs> uh, yeah. I think this project is a unique... Um, kind of spilling over of um, us as a couple because the first year of grad school together, um, we, we studied Shakespeare um, and that was during our engagement and it was so thrilling to read um, his, his, I mean, we had re read Shakespeare before, but in that moment of kind of really honeymoon-esque uh, falling in love, um, we decided uh, we loved the name, name Marina. We wanted to name our first daughter Marina. We had a wonderful professor. Uh, we really enjoyed it. Um, he knew that he would write his dissertation on, on Shakespeare um, and rhetoric. And so it makes sense that we would work together as a couple um, on this project and, and welcome the troop kids uh, into the family with our own kids. Uh, Marina comes from Shakespeare's Pericles, and um, I had never read it before graduate school, and my wife wrote a brilliant paper on it, and then we loved the name uh, Marina, and uh, so we, we borrowed that name from Shakespeare. 
Um, and then later, uh, I uh, professionally trained at the American Shakespeare Center, and it was one of those things where it's, it seemed like a good idea, and then as the moment of arrival approached, you started to wonder, <laughs> can, I, can I do this? <laughs> Should I be doing this? I have, I have a PhD, and usually those folks are not the ones that go do professional, trained, uh, professional, professional uh, training and acting, and my wife was the one that said, oh, you're going, um, you're going, and I'm, uh, that's where I met uh, uh, Ralph Cohen, and, uh, and, he, and you know, uh, he changed the direction of my life and, and career, really. The performance is a spot in time it's very temporary. It happens and then it's over and people go into a depression of sorts, especially with final exams just days or a week away. But the relationships they form during rehearsals and production with you, your family, and each other, um, what, if anything, has grown out of those bonds? What is the troop life past the confines of the troop? Well, we call them shareholders um, and uh, we stay in contact. So the university uh, just completed its black box theater um, and inside is a, a platform stage, um, 30 feet by 30 feet, and it has on-stage seating on both stage left and stage right. Uh, seats about uh, 137 total, but it was uh, specifically designed um, for our style of performance and for Shakespearean performance in particular. Now, uh, when we were coming up with plans for that, uh, we hired an architect who would sort of uh, put our ideas and get them up on paper, but uh, you know, that was a collective effort because we had um, alumni from years ago who were reviewing these documents, making comments on them, debating uh, small changes, um, like minute details of the architectural drawing. And, you know, sometimes I would uh, come out of class and there'd be, you know, 80 texts on my phone because we had, you know, nine to 11 troop members who were weighing in on this stuff on one text strand. And then there was... There's a Facebook page that's closed um, that they use to communicate with one another. Um, and then sometimes uh, they call out of the blue uh, to let me know um, uh, what they're up to, or uh, many of them are still working um, uh, in, in the field. And so they're developing their own uh, theses or taking on uh, new roles and parts um, and thinking about you know, what they're going to, going to do in the next step. And so we hear from them quite a bit after the shows. <laughs> And they come back um, and see performances and, um, yeah, keep in touch in small ways throughout the year. Um, we hear about births. We hear about deaths in the family. Um, we kind of rejoice and mourn with them um, as they go through life. We're really privileged to watch them embark on adulthood from here. And so they kind of circle back and keep us in the loop on, on things. As a shareholder and a part of the troupe, I have personally felt the love. I've learned and I've grown. I love your kids, I love your story, and I'm super happy you were here with me today, so thank you. Emily, it was our pleasure. Um, we miss you, uh, so come back and, and, and see us soon. Thanks, Emily. Does that make you really uncomfortable to call me Emily? I do what I'm told. <laughs> <laughs> but she was Rose for four years. <laughs> So if people want to know more about your organization, how would they find out? Uh, people should visit shakespeareandperformance.net. That's shakespeareandperformance.net. Um, you have an about page. We've got a home page. We've got uh, samples of our music and our video. And um, uh, 
information about ticketing will be forthcoming for the spring uh, 2019 uh, production run. This is the first year uh, that we're going to perform and produce two plays. Typically, we do uh, one, and um, we're going to do Macbeth and Tempest. So we'll have uh, two plays, and they'll uh, alternate um, every other night um, for a 14-day uh, uh, production run, and our students are really excited uh, uh, for this spring in particular. It's one of our largest troops, uh, about 32 uh, members, and um, so many seniors um, are part of the troop this year. It's probably the largest group of seniors that we've had, and, some, and, and most, of the, most of the people to this troop are new to it, um, so they've uh, seen um, upperclassmen on the stage. They've uh, come to watch our productions, and they, they want to uh, get involved. And so we've got a lot of new people, a lot of very talented people, um, and it's going to be a great time this, uh, this spring at Ave Maria University. Come out and see us. Now for some news from the festival. We're in the middle of a big construction project right here at the Beverly Taylor Sorensen Center for the Arts, where we'll be adding a new gift shop, concession stand, and a beautiful new outdoor seating area. We'll also be announcing some of our 2019 season casting soon, so make sure you follow us on social media or sign up for our mailing list for photos and updates. Next episode, we'll hear from Tim Seiler and Stephanie Resnick, our Macbeth and Lady Macbeth, from our 2019 Shakespeare in the Schools tour. Follow us on Instagram, at Utah Shakespeare to see what they've been up to. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Play On podcast. Special thanks this week to Dr. Kurtwright, Mary Kurtwright, and everyone who called in or sent us an email. The Kurtwrights are gearing up for two spring shows, Macbeth and The Tempest. They're also hard at work preparing the first ever Shakespearean performance summer camp for high schoolers. More information and tickets can be found at shakespeareinperformance.net. This show is a co-production of the marketing and education departments at the Utah Shakespeare Festival. Thanks to Michael Barr and Tyler Morgan for all their guidance and support. Our music was composed by Caitlin Limber. Keep up with the festival by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Utah Shakespeare. You can also sign up for a mailing list on our website for a monthly digest of news and maybe some ticket discounts. You can find more episodes of this show on our website at bard.org podcast or wherever you get your podcast. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Wait, wait, wait. I have something to say. Hello, this is Queen Elizabeth speaking. You sound a lot like India. This is Queen Elizabeth speaking. I will be hosting a two-day birthday party for William, and all the little students are invited. There will be dancing and jousting, performances, and, of course, cake. All in my, I mean, (laughs) Shakespeare's honor. This is an annual thing, right? Yes. Birthdays do usually happen each year. Right. Thanks. What were some highlights from past years? Well, last year, I asked the students what they would get for William for a birthday present. And these are some of my favorites. A motor scooter, a pen and quail for him to do all of his writing, cake. What's a birthday without cake? An iPhone And iPhone lessons, now that was a smart child, because how would William know how to work an iPhone if he's never had one? (laughs) I can't wait to hear what you're bringing him this year. Thanks, Cindy. I mean, Queen Elizabeth.
If your school has not yet registered, call or email the Education Department at usfeducation at bard.org. Bard's Birthday Bash takes place on Monday and Tuesday, April 22nd and 23rd. See you next time.